And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So we are continuing our relational wisdom series. And as we just mentioned, uh, the topic for today is rebuke. So rebuke is when you challenge someone, you correct them, you point out something that they have done which is wrong or maybe something that they haven't done that they were supposed to do. Happy Valentine's Day, by the way. I uh, hope you haven't been on the receiving end of a rebuke already uh, today. But <laughs> this is the topic that we're going for. But I think that sort of serves to illustrate the fact that when we think of this topic, rebuke, we often think of it as something that is, well, negative. You know, two weeks ago, uh, Toby was talking to us about encouragement. And it's obviously very easy to think of encouragement as something very positive. So it feels like this is kind of the, you know, the other side of the coin. We've got a, the negative rebuke. And, and really, if we're involved in rebuke, then there's something that's going wrong with our relationship, whether that's in the workplace or with friends or in our household. But we've just also heard some words from Jesus. And Jesus, in that passage there, tells us to rebuke. Now, Jesus is good. And as we've been going through this series, the wisdom that comes from Jesus and his word brings health to our relationship with God and relationships with one another. So actually, Jesus is presenting rebuke in a positive light, and it can be something that is healthy for our relationships. And so that might be something of a surprise to you. But let's also consider that because... You know, imagine if we're in a scenario where there was never any rebuke. You know, if you think, well, rebuke's a bad thing. Well, what if it didn't exist at all? Perhaps, you know, in the workplace, um, in um, friendships that we have. Imagine if just anyone can just say anything or do anything and nothing was ever challenged uh, or, or corrected in any way. No, I think that would pretty quickly turn into quite a toxic environment. Just people just do anything and it's never checked. No, actually, rebuke does have a place in healthy relationships. But what we have seen from Jesus already is that there needs to be the right context and we need to do it in the right way if it is going to have this healthy relational component for us. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to think about what rebuke is and what it isn't. We're going to think about how do we do it. And then we're going to think about, before we finish, what does this say? What does this show us about what God is like since he is the one that is telling us to do this? Okay, so let's think about this passage from Luke 17. We've heard these words of Jesus. And the first thing that stands out to me is that Jesus puts this in the context of, well, temptations to sin. 
So sin, what he's talking about here is things that are morally wrong. So that's the first thing we can understand, that rebuke is, comes in the context of response to something that is morally wrong. Now, when we think about perhaps sin, or we hear preachers like me talk about sin, we often think about the sort of vertical relationship, like sin is the wrong things, the things that God thinks are wrong about what we say and do and think. Now, that is true. The Bible talks about that. But in this passage, Jesus is actually pointing out the sort of horizontal aspect of sin. And he's saying, actually, when one person does something or says something is wrong, what can happen is that that causes other people to respond in sinful ways as well. And that's what he's referring to here. That actually, it's not just about, well, God thinks I've done something wrong here. You know, sometimes when we think about sin, it's like, oh, well, it's God's, you know, it's a black mark against my name. I've done something I shouldn't have done. But more commonly, I think the way the Bible talks about sin is not a black mark against your name. It's like spilling a, a can of paint on the floor. Yes, it makes a mess in front of you, but it also can splash onto other people as well. And that's what Jesus is kind of referring to here. You can cause someone else to sin by your sin. I think we've all experienced that in the relationships that we're in. You get angry, you get cross with someone and they respond to you in anger. Or you, you say something that's not true or do something that's not right and then someone else that you're in relationship with in the office or whatever does something bad to you back again. And there can be that back and forth. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. When he talks about these little ones, he's saying, actually, people that follow me, sort of infants in following Jesus. And he's saying, actually, your things that you do and say that are wrong can cause other people, even other followers of Jesus, to do and say things that are wrong. And that's, that's a problem. In fact, Jesus says that's a very serious problem. Because what's this about millstones? Well, what Jesus is saying here is actually sin doesn't just have a horizontal relationship uh, dynamic. It has eternal consequence as well. Jesus is actually using language here that's saying actually sin and causing other people to sin, you deserve a fate worse than death with that. Wow. It gets very serious all of a sudden. Well... Jesus is pointing out that sin is serious. Now, what we'll get on to see is that Jesus is the saviour who rescues us from those consequences from, from sin by going to the cross and dying for us, that sin can be forgiven. And we'll get to that, unpacking that more before we end. But it's important to see that, what's going on here. There's a horizontal uh, dynamic here and it is serious, but it's a response to moral wrong. And that's important to labour that point because when we're talking about rebuke, let's, well, let's think about what rebuke is not. If it's about morally, something that's wrong, sinful, that means rebuke is not the response when, well, when there's a difference of opinion. You know, someone disagrees with us. Right, Jesus says rebuke. I'm going to rebuke you for your opinion. No, no, if there's a difference of opinion here, I'm sure you need to communicate and talk that out. But that's not what Jesus is referring to here. Misunderstanding, difference of opinion. No, no, that's not grounds for rebuke. Neither is rebuke just an opportunity for you to get your frustration out. Maybe someone's really annoyed you and you're like, right, Jesus says I can rebuke. So here you go. I'm going to give you both barrels here. No, no, it's not frustration getting out. You know, referees don't get rebuked by the fans in the stadium. There's something else going on there. It's not a correction. It's a 
going all out and going uh, in terms of emotive response. When you see big social media posts and people ranting, no, that's what Jesus is not sanctioning that sort of behavior. When the boss just explodes at work, no, no, that's not a rebuke. And thirdly, it's not a personal attack either. Sometimes we can think, well, they've done something wrong. They deserve this. So I'm going to tell them, you always do this. You're just rubbish. You're a loser. And because you think they've done something wrong, that gives you grounds to rebuke them like that. No, no. That's not what we're talking about here either. It's not a personal attack on someone. In fact, the Bible, Jesus is very anti-abuse in any, uh, any form. So that's not what we're talking about here. And I labor that point because perhaps you have experienced that. You've experienced the kind of the things that I've just described there. And you think, well, is Jesus saying we should rebuke one another? And that's what he means, just like attacking one another? No, no, that is not uh, what Jesus is saying here. No, it's saying something different. And it's also probably important to note that Doing a rebuke badly can actually be even more damaging than not rebuking someone at all. We can bring serious damage to our relationship and to one another if we don't do this well. And if we mix in all these other things that I've been talking about, just sort of attacking people, getting over frustrated with people, that sort of thing. It's really important that we hear what Jesus is saying, hear what he's not saying, and we do this well if it's going to have a healthy impact on our relationships with one another. And that's the first thing. Jesus said, if your, verse 3 there, if your brother sins against you, it's a response to sin, not just an opportunity for your frustration. Okay. It's actually a loving response. This is sometimes something that we don't see. If we're looking to correct someone in response to something that they have done wrong, then in that way, restoration is what we have in mind. Again, two weeks ago, Toby talked about encouraging being something that's constructive, being something that builds people up. Well, I think the same kind of themes are in here as well. That actually, even when we rebuke someone, even when we correct them, our aim in doing that is to, to actually be constructive to them, to help them to see where they've gone wrong so that they can change. And we see that in the passage here because Jesus says, rebuke him, but what follows on? Repent and forgive him. So rebuke with Jesus is followed by repentance, forgiveness, restoration, restoring of relationship with one another and with that person to God as well, because they've turned from sinful behavior or sinful words that they have said. It's constructive in that, it's helpful in that way. We live in an era that's very quick to tear people down. Right, they've done something wrong. They've said something wrong. Right, we're gonna tear them down. That's not Jesus' way. No, Jesus' correction aims at repentance, forgiveness, restoration. And it can be constructive in that way. Forgiveness, that's the goal here. Another passage that's uh, key to this is found in Ephesians chapter 4. Speak the truth in love. Yes, we want to tell people the truth, but we do it in love because we're aiming to help them. So that really kind of is what rebuking is uh, about, what it is. Let's take a, a bit of time now to think more carefully about, well, how do we do it then? How do we put this into practice? How do we do rebuking in a way that is going to be helpful to other people and the relationships we have to them? So I thought the best way of doing this is perhaps think of a scenario that we might be in and sort of illustrate it like that. 
So say we're in a big workplace uh, setting, for example, and we receive an email. Lots of people have been um, copied into this email. And in that email, the person that is sending it speaks about someone else in your team or something or in your workplace in ways that are just inappropriate and just is treating them unfairly. Now, if you were say, in a big workplace, and maybe you didn't know the person that was sending the email, you just, it's just relevant to you in some way, or maybe you didn't know the person that's been spoken about, it's probably not your place to uh, rebuke them. Just because Jesus says rebuke doesn't mean we need to look at anything that anyone ever does wrong, I'm going to jump. No, you might not be best place. Jesus actually talks about brother, he's talking about relationship there. So if it's distant to you, you, so let's, you might not be the best person to do it. So let's just check that. Okay, but let's say in this example, it's someone in your team that's sending that email and it's someone that you know and are also working with that is affected by this. They've been treated unfairly. They've been talked about inappropriately. What, how should we respond to that? Should we? Well, Jesus says rebuke, right. Angry email coming in response. Here we go. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. The Bible says a number of things about rebuke. And one of the passages that's really helpful in terms of the how is found in 2 Timothy 4, where it talks about rebuke. And it says, do so with complete patience and teaching. Now, this is really helpful. <laughs> patience and teaching. What that suggests to me is that if we are feeling it's appropriate to correct someone, to point out where they've gone wrong, that we shouldn't rush to it that we should find an environment that we can be patient and help them to understand where they've gone wrong and have a conversation about it. And so probably in a scenario like the one I've described, it's about taking the time to speak to someone face to face, if, if at all possible, and talk it through. Hey, you said this earlier, so you're taking a bit of time away, taking a bit of the emotion out of the moment. You said this earlier, this is how it came across, this is where I think you've gone wrong with it, and you have a conversation about it. That's patient, and it's also teaching, it's helping them to understand. And in this way, we can, we're helping one another, because for all of us, things that we do and say that are wrong, sometimes we don't realise it. Probably more than, we, the more than we think, we don't realise it, and actually other people can help us see things that we might have missed. And so it's important to bear that in mind when we are rebuking. We're aiming to help people. And I think this is something for us to think about when we are on the receiving end of a rebuke. I'm sure you, like I, have been on the receiving end. And of course it can feel, oh, someone's telling me something I've done wrong here. It's not comfortable. And it's not. None of this, none of this stuff is comfortable. We don't like having sin pointed out. But it if we do it in the right way or if we receive it in the right way, can be helpful to us. And perhaps this is an encouragement for us in terms of our posture of receiving correction from someone else. What are they helping me to see that I don't see right now? Now, when someone rebukes you, you might not agree with everything that they've said. It's impossible to do this perfectly. However, adopting a posture of, is the truth in what they're saying? Is there something that I can learn here? Is there a way that I can change here? I think that's the kind of posture that the Bible talks about we should adopt when we're receiving or engaging in uh, rebuking someone. Proverbs 27 verse 6 kind of says that. It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. 
when someone rebukes, it's a bit of a, it is a wounding experience. Oh, that does hurt. That is uncomfortable. You've pointed out something to me and that's not nice to hear sometimes. But they can be trusted when they're done in love, but also because they're going to be helpful to me. It's going to help me to correct something that's wrong in me that actually God wants me to realize even that I can learn and I can grow and I can move forward in actually becoming more like Jesus. So in this way, doing it in this way can be helpful to people. It can be helpful to me and you to even even be rebuked. And I just want to ask that question of you as well. Because if we're fully going to embrace this, what Jesus has to say to us here, it might be worth reflecting on. In your, if it's in the workplace, in your household, with your friends, do you create an environment around you that, that welcomes correction? Or, or does the opposite? Everyone's afraid to correct anything. Well, actually, having a humble uh, posture and actually even giving some people permission to correct you is going to be helpful to you to grow in your relationship with Christ and in following him. We have a role to play in one another's maturing and becoming more like Jesus. That's something for you to think about, perhaps. I know it has been for me this week. Finally then, what does this show us about God? Hopefully from what I've said today already, you maybe have seen rebuke in a positive light. Maybe before you just saw it purely negatively. No, well, it can be constructive. It can be helpful to us. And so when I say God is a rebuker, hopefully that comes across now in in the right way. Because the Bible does actually say that. That Jesus is not telling us to do something that he doesn't do. We see this quite clearly, again, in the book of Proverbs, which is a book full of God's wisdom. In Proverbs 3, it says that, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. I don't know where you are on your, the spectrum of faith, whether you've been walking with Jesus for many years or just kind of looking in at these types of things and what the Bible has to say. Well, have you ever experienced God's discipline? Have you ever come close to God? Have you ever considered Jesus and thought, oh, there's something in me that's not right? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. He highlights things to us that are, that, are, that are not right, that are not good, that don't match up with the way that God is. When we fall short of what God is, that's, that's sin. And the Holy Spirit does bring that conviction. We can talk about, Bible calls it conviction. Have you ever felt that? It's not comfortable. <laughs> it's not easy. Oh, something in me that's not right. You know what we're fe- feeling there? If we ever feel that, we're actually feeling... God's favoritism. That sounds shocking to say, I know. But that's what this passage is saying. He disciplines, he rebukes those he loves as a good father in a a child that they delight in. He delights in us. That seems like a strange image, but God's love for us is such that he wants to bring about change and growth in our lives. Ultimately, the Bible said God wants to make us more like Jesus. And that is 
good for us. And that process is loving. But that process involves a bit of pain and rebuke is when we feel that pain. We feel, oh, this is an area that needs to change. But it's going, if we trust Jesus in it, in the right direction. Our growth, our, what the Bible calls sanctification. You know, if you imagine a statue that a sculptor is working on, that process of knocking blocks off is painful. And you might think the, the statue might cry out, why do you keep doing this to me? Why are you hitting me? Why are you chipping things off me? This hurts. But if we see the whole picture, we see, okay, there's a process here. Actually, this, this statue is being made into something that is beautiful, is wonderful. There's an end result in mind. And we need to see God's challenge, God's correction in us, in that light. He knows what he's doing. It's a painful process sometimes, but it's actually part of his love. How does God do it though? Does he just wake us up in the night and just suddenly we you know, feel corrected by him or speaks with an audible voice? Well, the most common ways that Jesus does this in our lives, if we open ourselves up to it, is through the church and through his word. We've kind of already touched on this uh, through the church because we've talked about rebuking one another. And I think it's important we bear that in mind when we feel, might, might feel commissioned from this word to bring correction when it's appropriate to other people. We're not just doing it because it's a good thing to do. No, we're actually doing it because, because God wants us to mature one another. You might think, well, surely if, if rebuke is a response to sin, and God deals with sin. Well, if someone does something wrong, I'll just leave them to God. I'll forgive them in my heart and I'll just, God can deal with that. Well, there might be appropriate times that that's the right thing to do. But Jesus does say, rebuke. <laughs> he tells us to do it. Why? Because he wants to involve us in helping one another. In, in, in growing in relationship. Because you know what happens if rebuke if it doesn't happen? Someone continues blindly in, in their behavior that's wrong. No, no, challenge is helpful and we can play a part. So I hope that gives you confidence in it in one sense, but also it humbles us, doesn't it? We, we need to treat this carefully. We need to love one another carefully in this, not rushing into it. We've got a role to play in one another's life. That's how the church should be. But we do it in love, looking to serve, not looking to score points or tear people down. No, no, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. And then finally, how does God do it in our lives? Well, through his word. If you're in the Bible each day, if you ever come across the Bible and you see God's wisdom, you see what God is like, you see it most clearly in the person of Jesus reading through these gospels, you will come to the experience of thinking, my life doesn't match up with this. I'm not as loving as Jesus is. I'm not as good as Jesus is. I do things that are wrong. I say things that are wrong. I don't, I'm not devoted to the Father like Jesus is. And in all those ways, we feel that conviction. There's things in me that need to, that need to change. And sometimes it can bring about those feelings of guilt in a moment. And maybe you're watching this and you're kind of maybe new or looking in at the church and, and Christian things. And you think, well... What I find difficult is when I come to Jesus or I even come to church or watch something, I just start to feel guilty. And maybe people, many people have maybe turned away from Christian things because, well, who wants to go to church because you just feel guilty at church? <laughs> I don't want that in my life. That's an uncomfortable thing to experience. 
Well, I can understand that, but with Jesus, the sin, the guilt, the way we feel, the rebuke even, it's not the end of the story. Let's look at this pattern again. With Jesus, there is a rebuke, there's a highlighting of wrong that brings guilt. But with Jesus, what follows that? If it follows repentance, there is forgiveness that rushes in. With Jesus, guilt isn't the end of the story. Rebuke, repentance, forgiveness, life, life. And, that, and that's why we come. And maybe you come today or watching this and you feel guilty. And each one as we consider the life of Jesus might well feel like that. But what we do Sunday by Sunday, what we do in our Christian walk is come to the cross of Jesus. We realize we can bring our guilt there and it gets dealt with there. And we might come with guilt, but we can leave with forgiveness and joy. Jesus Christ came into this world to die for sin, to put an end to guilt and condemnation so that people might, like you and me receive his forgiveness, receive a restored relationship with him. You might think, well, coming to church makes me feel guilty. You'll carry that guilt all through life. Jesus and the cross of Jesus Christ is the one place that guilt comes to an end. And I think that's why Jesus is so keen to emphasize the repeated nature of this. Do you notice that at the end of the passage? He says, if someone repents, forgive him. If he repents again, forgive him again. Seven times. In another place in, in Matthew's gospel, it talks about 77 times you should forgive. And again, he's pointing to himself, saying, if you come to me, you'll receive forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness again. And that is what God is like. And that is good, good news for people like me and you. Because, yes, God is a rebuker. He points out our sin. But his rebuke lasts for a moment. But his love and his forgiveness last forever. That is what Jesus is like. Why don't we respond to him now, worship him and embrace him afresh today?